All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to H2O. Um, love that H2O app. It's a good excuse to, again, be on your phone during the service and not feel shame. If people look at you, you can say, I'm on the H2O app. Don't worry. It's okay. Uh, um, at least that's what I'll be doing. I don't know about you. Um, but I'm really happy uh, just to have you guys here with us today. Um, we are actually continuing our series in the book of Philippians. Um, and our, our topic and our, our um, title for the series is Invincible Joy, and that's kind of been a theme throughout this book is joy, and especially joy and suffering, um, which is also just very ironic because this was uh, in Paul's life, uh, the author of this book, when he was writing this book, this was a really hard season of his life. Um, he was in prison, he was being tortured for his faith, many of his friends had moved on and left him, and so Paul is in a really dark and hard time in his life, but he continues to talk about joy. And he continues to talk about um, what God has done in his life. And the reason for this is because of his relationship with God and the mission that God has him on. And that gave him so much joy to continue to move forward. And I think for us, what we can learn as a church, and what we're hoping we'll learn from this series, is whatever we're going through, whatever experiences, whatever trials, sufferings we're going through in this life, we can trust that Jesus will be with us every step of the way if we put our hope and trust in him and that he'll lead us through any storm in our life. And so that's our hope today. And, and, and again, um, we hope this series really empowers you and gives you joy as well. And so with that, um, today I'm going to be building off of what Brian talked about last week. Brian talked more about suffering and um, unity within this church of Philippians, and I'll be building off the theme of unity, and specifically just the idea of us being humble as Christians. And the, kind of the anchor verse from last week that kind of builds into this week is Philippians 1:27, and it says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so for us as, as Christians, and especially for today, we're going to learn how we can allow our lives to be worthy of the gospel of Christ, and specifically through humility. And um, I know there's many different, when I say the word humility, there's probably many different things you might be thinking of, maybe, you know, being humbled in your life. And um, one way that I'm going to define humility, which C.S. Lewis defines it this way, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And so basically not having your eyes and your thoughts on yourself and your situation, but really looking on to others. And I think this is, this is so true, and I'm sure we all have different experiences with humility. Um, one story I want to share uh, just comes from our family. Uh, my wife said I could, I could share this story. Uh, she um, is a nurse, if you know my wife, and she loves being a nurse, and she loves the experiences of taking care of people, working with coworkers in the healthcare industry. And... Um, when she first started out in nursing, it was very hard, especially if you talk to a new nurse. The hours are crazy. You're constantly on your feet all day. You're filling yourself with caffeine, going crazy. Don't tell her I said that. Um, but it, it's pretty hard. Uh, and she, she was reaching a point, though, after about six months in, she was starting to get a hang of it, and she was really enjoying her experiences in nursing. She was building some friendships uh, with coworkers and um, just really feeling a lot of appreciation from um, patients. And around um, that time, it was the end of the year, and um, her floor was doing some awards for um, different nurses, and they had awards for best nurse or best new nurse. And um, at the time, some of Sammy's friends were getting some of these nominations for these awards, but she didn't get any. 
And so she was feeling really discouraged and kind of beating herself up a little bit and was just like, man, what do I need to do? What, what's, you know, sh- you know, do they not appreciate me? Am I doing something wrong? And she kind of just was sharing with me, like, some of these things and was just like, you know, Joe, what, sh- what should I do? What should, you know, how should I, should I communicate with my boss? Should I see um, what, what, what I should do if I'm doing anything wrong? And being a good husband, you always want to ask just to say, hey, do you want me to share? Do you want me to say anything? Because that's how you get in trouble most times if you just say something without asking first. And she said, of course. Um, and so I just said, hey, honey, you know, what was the reason, what was the motivation why you got into nursing to begin with? And she said, well, I became a nurse because I wanted to help people and I wanted to show people the love of Jesus. And I said, great, that's awesome. Are you doing that? And she said, yeah, you know, I'm not perfect, but to the best of my abilities, I'm really trying to do that for my patients and for my coworkers. And I'm like, and I was like, that is awesome. Maybe God's just trying to tell you that you need to keep doing that. Maybe just keep your focus on taking care of your patients, serving your coworkers, and you know what? Awards and praise will come when they come, but the most important thing is just do what God has called you to do. And so she really appreciated that, and she started praying and reflecting uh, that she would really seek to not worry about praise and awards and all those different things, but really would focus on the main thing, which was taking care of people and showing God's love. And that was really cool, and the next day she went to work, and uh, she had this mindset, and when she got to her floor, uh, her boss came up to her and said, hey, I, couldn't see, I wasn't able to see you yesterday. I wanted to give you something. And show, so she gave her a certificate which said one of, was a nomination for best new nurse. Uh, and so that was, that was really, really cool, and it was a cool opportunity for her to, again, feel appreciated, but more importantly, I think God allowed her to go through that so it would change her heart to show that what is really important is serving Jesus and loving others as well. And so that's going to be kind of our big theme as we go throughout this talk this morning. And our big idea is this, that true joy comes when we take our eyes off of ourselves. True joy comes when we take our eyes off of ourselves. And uh, what we'll see in the passage today is this, that we need to be united, we need to be humble, and we need to look to Christ. And that's what we'll hopefully learn today as we're um, learning this passage this morning. And so we'll be um, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you want to turn there or open your H2O app, um, the notes will be in there as well. And we'll go along in our morning. So the first thing we'll talk about is that we need to be united. So Paul says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So what Paul is saying here is this, that uh, he's saying to the church of Philippi that you need to be united. You need to be together. You need to be of the same mind, same love, and um, a full accord together. And this is, again, building off of what Brian talked about last week. And one, one thing that Paul says is that they, he wanted the Philippians to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And for us as Christians, and especially for us as a church, we need to be united. We need to be together. 
and we need to seek God's direction for our lives because if, if we're united and if we're behind what Jesus is doing, we'll be able to see powerful things happen and also we'll grow closer as a community and as a church. You know, it was really cool, just an example of unity. This last week, um, some of our uh, leaders at this H2O went to um, Columbus for a network gathering of other men and women leaders in the H2O network um, with our 10 other churches. And it was really awesome. We had a chance just to get together, pray for one another, encourage one another. And um, Pastor Pardee talked about this passage, and he talked about the importance of unity and how we really need to, as a, as a network, continue to be united and move forward. And I think that's just like so true and so cool to see that, um, because if you hear stories just about other churches or other networks, many times, you know, people create division and split for some of the silliest reasons. In fact, I heard one time that um, someone said that, one of the number one reasons uh, why churches split is because of worship music, which is very surprising. Um, but, like, I've seen it actually happen. I was in a church uh, growing up that was a little more traditional, um, and the pastor at the time wanted to start reaching out to younger families. And so what he decided to do was he decided to form two services. He would have one service be more traditional style music, and the other service would be more contemporary, more uh, modern-style Christian worship music. And for a while, that was fine, but what kind of began to develop was two churches began to form. And after the pastor ended up moving on, uh, it created a lot of division and a lot of conflict, so much so that they had to move from two services to one service, and then the conflict just increased, and they started to fight about what worship they would sing on a Sunday morning. And then the church began to split. One side won the battle, and then the other moved on, and the church is about a fourth the size it once was. And I think that's just so silly, because especially when it comes to worship music, worship isn't about us. Like, it's about worshiping God and who he is. And obviously, it's totally fine if we're, uh, churches pick their styles. We sh certainly do. Um, but really, those things are based on preference. What's most important is we need to be unified in our worship of God, and that's an example of a church not really doing that. And so Paul knows this and sees this, and he says to the Philippians, you need to be, you need to be united, and specifically, the way to do that is through being humble. And so that's the second point. We need to be humble. And so he says in verse 3, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. So Paul is saying, listen, church, you need to be humble. And the way to do that and the way he defines it is in verse 3, he says, count others more significant than yourselves. He's saying that this is something that is important. This is something that's valuable for us as Christians is we need to be people of humility and really serving one another. Now, this is very difficult. This is really hard, um, especially in our fallen, sinful world. Uh, we are people that want things our way, um, our way or the highway. We want things uh, exactly the way that makes us feel comfortable. And um, the Bible talks about how we have this nature, it's a fallen, sinful nature, that, allow, that pushes us to do things that we know is wrong and leads us down a path of destruction. 
Um, I was even talking to a friend this past week, and he said to me, um, you know, Joe, it's interesting. I think we always feel like we're the heroes of our own story. But he's like, I feel like in my life, a lot of times, I'm my own worst enemy, where I end up making mistakes or I end up doing things I know I shouldn't do, but it ends up really hurting me in the long run. And I think that's just so true. And actually, this theologian, um, Andreas Kostenberger, kind of laid this out and this truth about our sinful nature leading us to self-interest. And he says this, um, in our fallen sinful universe, it is in it, with its survival of the fittest mentality, the immediate prize usually goes to those who are aggressive, assertive, and self-seeking, even if this means stepping over others to get ahead. And I think that's so true. A lot of times we can look to our own interests, and it's way easier to do that than look to the interests of others. And in fact, when I was just processing through this, I began to think about my own life and even four different postures that I can take when I'm trying to be self-seeking. I think there's, again, four different ways that we can go when we're seeking to be self-seeking. Um, the first type of trap or, that we can fall into is being an achiever. And this is the type of person that um, wants things their way and, and um, wants to win at all costs and wants to be the best, wants to be the center of attention. Um, and obviously, it's not bad to want to have goals and move ahead, but it does become wrong when we begin to run over other people or even burn them out. And, and I think this type of person can, is so focused on getting ahead, and they're never satisfied because the goalpost keeps moving forward and forward, and people get run over in the long run. Second type of person can be a people pleaser. And this a people pleaser is a person that says, I want to be loved at all costs. I want people to appreciate everything that I do. And again, it's not bad to want to be liked. I think that's fine. But I think when it becomes self-serving is when we begin to serve and care for people only to fill that need and that wound and that self-interest in our lives. And we begin to really use people to fill that hole and that void in our lives. And a lot of times people that are in the spot are never satisfied and they may feel overwhelmed by the weight of approval of others or maybe even just start to feel resentful and never feel like people really appreciate the things that you do. Third type of person I can relate to this is a critic. Um, and this type of person will say, let me tell you what's wrong with them. Or let me tell you what's wrong with that organization or that ministry or whatever that is. And constantly looking for what's wrong in everything else. And oftentimes, critics, like myself, can use uh, criticism as a mask for either inactivity, insecurity, or jealousy, and often trying to break down others to feel better about ourselves. And we can feel like, man, if it wasn't for them or that organization or that situation, I would have whatever. The final type of person is the comfort seeker. And this person never wants, us, never wants to make decisions that would make you feel uncomfortable and only seeks uh, how they feel makes them feel best. And the comfort seeker says, I want it my way, whatever feels good for me. And obviously, you know, again, comfort isn't a bad thing at all, but it, when it becomes self-serving, it's, it's hard to separate preference from what's right at times when we're making decisions and we're, we're working together. And we need to be seeking the interests of others. And really, all of these postures are wrong for one reason. All of them are looking to themselves. 
And that's how I feel. When I'm in any of these situations, I begin to look at myself way more than the interests of others. And part of what Paul is saying here and what we need to do as Christians is we need to break this. We need to look away from ourselves and look towards what God is doing. And, I, you know, I, I feel like, again, I feel like I can relate to all these different postures, but I, I feel like this hits me home in a lot of different ways. One example, um, I was in the Air Force for about six years, really enjoyed it, really loved my job, um, excuse me, but um, I was working a job that was very difficult. I didn't really like it. It was a very hard place to work. The environment was really tough. The people would talk bad about each other. It was just, it was just really rough. And so I began developing a really bad attitude as I was going into work, and um, it, was just, it was just really hard, and I would only do the bare minimum of what was expected of me and never do anything more. Um, well, during that time, I was really praying and seeking the Lord, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to lay this before him, and I felt like God then was saying to me that I needed to change my heart, that regardless of the situation, I can't let that situation affect my emotions or affect how I'm treating others as well. And so I felt like God was telling me that I needed to serve and that I needed to be in a situation where my heart began to change and I needed to serve others. So what I started doing, I started to do what was expected of me. I started to vacuum the office, take the garbage out. If I had a task, I would finish it and then I would go back to my superiors and say, hey, what more do I need to do? To do? And what was cool was as my heart began to change, and my actions then changed too, um, I started to begin to enjoy my job. And I started developing some really awesome relationships with coworkers, and I started getting to the deeper level in conversations with people. And it was really cool, and I started to even just have influence in what God was doing, and I started to have spiritual conversations with people. And I began to even have what Paul talked about, I began to have joy. And that's the thing that we need to have. And you might be in a similar situation where it's really hard at work or it's really hard at home or it's really hard at school or whatever it is that you're going through and it's really, really difficult. But here's the thing and here's the truth. If we give that to Jesus, he can give us joy. And he has a plan for your life. And it's not just outward change. It is an inward heart change. It is going to him and trusting him. Because the only thing that can really, truly change you is if we allow Jesus into our hearts to change our internal motivation. And that's the final point that Paul wants us to know about is this, that we need to look to Christ. We need to look to him, because only he can really change our hearts. And so, verse 5, to continue the passage, says this, um, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So first, Paul says, we need to have the mind of Christ. We need to look to him. And the reason for that is verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. So this, this passage is saying, though Jesus was in the form of God, though he was equal with God, um, he did not account equality with God as a thing to hold on to. And this passage, as Tim Keller says it, is this passage is the most complete passage on who Jesus was and what he did. We believe as Christians that Jesus is God coming in the flesh. We believe as Christians um, in the Trinity that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. And this triunity is something that we see clearly 
throughout the pages of Scripture. And actually, Christians, whether you're Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant, all unify around this truth that we see through Scripture that God is triune, that we believe that God is one in three persons. Now, without getting too off track, because with the Trinity, we could go on and on and on, and I don't think you want to go to two years of seminary like I did. Um, but we, I, what I am going to say is this, this. The context of this passage is humility. And the context of this passage is what Jesus did for us and how we can follow in his example. And so, but with that, we need to know that Jesus is God and he is powerful. And Jesus, in verse 7, says this, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this passage says that Jesus emptied himself, not of his power, but of his position. That Jesus took on the form of a servant. He took on flesh. He became in the likeness of men and ultimately humbled himself by dying on a cross for us. Jesus humbled himself in order that we could be humbled. Jesus did this for us because he loved us so very much. Andreas Kastenberg says, says it like this, that Christ's humility went in descending order from God to man, from man to slave, from obedient slave to death, and death on a cross. Jesus even said in the Gospels that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for man, many. Jesus is our true example. And Jesus actually fell the furthest in humility. If you think about it, he was equal with the Father. He was equal with God. He was God. And he dropped to become the form of a man, the servant, and died on the cross for us. And this should show us God's true love for us, that God loves us. And he took on a form of a servant because of our pride and because of our sin. He took that on his shoulders. And what's amazing, too, is God didn't keep him there. Verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was glorified. God did not keep him there. He was glorified. He went to the cross. He humbled himself, went to the cross, and was exalted for us so that we could be brought out of our sin and our destruction. He has all authority and all glory was given to him. And so our application, and I already said this, is this, that Jesus humble, was humbled and glorified so that we could be humbled and glorified. Jesus came down and humbled himself and brought us to newness of life so that those that believe in him won't perish but have eternal life. Romans 8, 17 says this, that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. This is the truth of the gospel. And the only way, guys, that we can be glorified is if we are humbled before him. This verse is encouraging, and it should be encouraging. It's really awesome to see what Jesus has done, but it should also be a sign of warning. Because um, it says in the passage, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, this passage isn't pushing for universal salvation. What this passage is pointing to, the reality, is that we will all be humbled at some point in our existence. We will all be humbled. 
The question is, will we choose to be humbled or will we be humbled? Uh, Jesus even said in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the truth of Scripture, that we believe that if we humble ourselves before God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus made a path for us and laid down his life so that we could be made new. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the truth. This is what we see. But again, Jesus made a way for us. And the question is, will we choose to humble ourselves before God, or will we wait to be humbled? Because one day we will stand before Jesus, and we will see his power and his glory. And we have the opportunity now in this life to accept it or not. And so for us, as we reflect on this, and this is a hard teaching, this is a hard message to receive and think about, um, and I want you to know that, one, Jesus made a way for us, which is really awesome and, and amazing too, but two, maybe this is an opportunity that God is breaking into your life to speak to you. Just like he broke in um, from heaven to earth and broke in the flesh, um, maybe he's breaking into your life as well and speaking um, this truth to you. And so a takeaway for us it, it should be this, and it should be a challenge for different members of us in this audience today, is, is this, that if you're a Christian, um, here's the truth of this passage, that we need to walk in a manner worthy of Christ and put our interests aside and seek the interests of others and ultimately seek the interests of Christ and serve one another. And this is important for our church. We need to be a church that is humble and serving one another every opportunity we can. And obviously, it starts in our hearts. Secondly, if you're seeking Christ, but maybe you haven't quite decided yet if you want to be a Christian, but you're really open to it, maybe this is an opportunity to take that next step in your faith. Maybe Jesus is, is starting to work in your heart and in your life, and maybe this is an opportunity to respond and receive it. And maybe for others of us in this room who maybe haven't yet made that final decision or, or wouldn't identify right now as Christians, maybe this is an opportunity to just begin investigating and asking questions. And we would encourage you and invite you to really in, in, investigate this because if Jesus really is God, if he is who he says he is, then it has infinite importance in our lives and we need to check in and take it seriously and, and investigate if it's true. And so our hope today as we close is this, that you would engage with this message and find that true joy, true honest joy comes from taking your eyes off yourself and looking to others and looking to Jesus. And we hope that you will seek unity, be humble, and look to Christ's example. And ultimately why this all matters is so that we could better represent Christ so that we could be a benefit to others and have true joy in him. And, and, and we hope that you would see Jesus as he really is, glorified um, and full of power. And so as the band comes up, I want to just close with this verse as we meditate um, on this passage this morning. And it says this, it's Hebrews 12 too. It says, um, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the truth. 
This is, this is the reality of the gospel, that Jesus took on our sin and our suffering and made a way for us. And so as we reflect on that, we get an opportunity to worship in our style, um, and, and we get an opportunity to praise Jesus as he is. Um, and so with that, as the band comes up, I'll invite you guys to pray with us. So Father, thank you just for the chance to worship and to take in this word. We pray, Jesus, that we would humble ourselves before you and trust in your power and in your move in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that you were humbled, you humbled yourself, um, and you were exalted in order to make a way for us. And so we pray that we would receive this word today. And we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.